Hello everyone, welcome back to Oceans Unlocked, episode three. Woo! Woo! Episode three. Creatures of the deep this week. So we're going to be looking at the deep ocean, where there's not much light, and you wouldn't think there's much life either. But we are here to prove to you that it is very interesting and that there is life. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Now, as usual... If you want to keep up to date with our content, follow us on Instagram, drop us a like and a, and a comment, Oceans Unlocked, and uh, yeah, I say we get straight into it. This is just a little note from Editing Sam. To help have a, a visualisation of these organisms we're going to talk about, we're going to put a post on Instagram with each of the different species we're talking about, so you can just flick along while we're talking to you in your ear, so you can really see what we're on about when um, describing these species. Enjoy. Let's get into it. All right, I say you start us off. Okay, so basically I'm gonna talk you through the zones of the ocean. So we've got five different zones. Yeah. um, And two of them don't count as deep oceans. So you've no. got the epipelagic and the mesopelagic, which are both they they both have light penetrating yeah. them, and it's got all the like the. So your epipelagic is your coastlines and yeah, like, where lots well, you, of light, hundred percent of light, not hundred percent light, but light penetrates. Yeah. Um, photosynthesis can can happen at an optimum rate, and pretty much most of the productivity is. Yeah. Fruit from phytoplankton, which feeds obviously all the filter feed, isn't that? And then mesopelagic. Yeah, the mesopelagic is 200 to 1,000 meters, and the light penetrates down to 1,000 meters, which is where then the deep sea begins. Yes, the twilight zone, as it's often referred to. Yeah. This is where very little light or next to no light penetrates. Mm-hmm. So you start to see a shift in adaptions here start to see an increase in eye size to try and capture as much light as possible Mm -hmm. Um, you see transparency to try and um, blend in as much as possible to make it even harder for predators to see you if you're a prey fish for example Um, so this is this is the beginning of the the deep sea which we're going to start talking about and beneath this we have the abyssopelagic now this starts at 4,000 meters so the bathypelagic is above that from 1,000 to 4,000 Another abyssopelagic is 4,000 to about around about 6,000, isn't it? Yeah. And then you've got the last one, which is the hadopelagic, yeah. which is 6,000 to 11,000. Yeah. So this is places like the Mariana Trench, yeah. which are rarely explored, really, due to yeah. it being so deep. Exactly. Um, anyway, let's let's go back. Let's go back up. A bit further to the bathypelagic. Yes. I think we'll start there. Now, the bathal zone, as it's often referred to, comes from the the Greek word bathy, bathies, sorry, <laughs> which means deep. So, obviously, it's a thousand meters down, so it is pretty deep. Um, there is no visible light here, and the temperature is around four degrees. That is cold. Yes. So, where should we start? What should we what, what should we start with? What creature? Well, if you follow us on Instagram, you will have seen a gulper eel that oh, we posted yes, as, about. Oh, the thumbnail. Um, 
it's not the thumbnail um but that's fine (laughs) (laughs) um basically the gulper eel is also known as a pelican eel and it's one of the most unusual deep sea animals found in the bathypelagic zone also known as the midnight zone or you know the twilight zone as we already said yeah um they are black in colour and they can reach about two to three feet in length, which yeah. is, it's relatively small for an eel species, but it's still yeah. a decent size. Um, and basically, gulper eels get their name from their huge mouth, yeah. basically. So what they do, the, the reason why they have this adaption is it allows them to scoop up water into its mouth and literally just swallow the prey straight away. Yeah. Um, so like a pelican, that's why it's called a, a yeah, pelican eel. It exactly. has that sort of throat. Yeah, so they primarily feed on crustaceans, fish, um, but mm. it's, it, they yeah. the fish can be bigger than the eel itself as well yeah. because its mouth is so huge. Yeah, you think like a, like a snake. It can kind of yeah. open up its jaws so wide it can eat, you know, huge huge prey items really yeah so that is the gold reel that is one of the many yeah. animals you can find in we, the bathypelagic zone mm-hmm. we could be here for hours if we want to talk about all of them but we've picked our, yes. our favorites really haven't we yeah so that one is my favorite i think it's the most interesting yeah. to me but we can move on to the next one yeah it's hard to explain these without without kind of showing you so we're going to paint paint the picture best yeah paint ugh. <laughs> paint a picture in your mind of of what these are going to look like now this next one you'll be more familiar with yes the colossal squid now you're thinking what's a colossal squid <laughs> so you, it's not as big as a kraken or anything like that we're not well, thinking that's not real so. <laughs> we're not thinking you know it's going to take down take down boats and stuff but if you if you've ever watched maybe a documentary on sperm whales they're quite closely they often come up in that i mean yeah because they're one of the one of the prey items for for sperm whales i think sperm whales are the only predators that eat adult giant squid or colossal squid mm, and they have some epic battles oh they do You've, you'll see scars all over um all over the faces and bodies of of these sperm whales as they're just the, the giant squids are just clinging on for yeah for deer life really so actually how long are giant squid or colossal squid well they've been caught reaching up to 46 feet oh my God. and weighing 1100 pounds now that's 14 meters and 500 kilos so literally half a ton half a ton of that squid crazy not only are they absolutely huge they hold many titles in the animal kingdom for instance, they have the largest eyes of any animal, mm. even bigger than the great whales, for example. And they also are the largest living invertebrate on the planet as we speak. Oh my god! Which is yeah, that's a good title to uh, to hold. Now their diet consists mostly of small and large fishes and maybe other squids, and pretty much most of these animals just eat anything they can get mm. their tentacles on, for example. Um, which are equipped with suckers and, you know, strong, sharp hooks used in capturing prey, like I just mentioned, or fighting off predation. Mm. And like like sperm whales, as we said at the start. Oh, yeah. As these battles can leave both species injured, if not dead, in um, certain, certain yeah. battles. Um, 
So yeah, should we go on to sperm whales? It's quite a good link in yeah, to yeah. sperm whales. Um, That's you. So yeah, sperm whales are also found in the bathypelagic zone. And it's the la- I think it's the last one we'll talk about from this yeah. particular zone. Yeah. Um, but obviously, sperm whales need to come up for air. So they aren't permanently in the mm-hmm. bathypelagic zone. But it is where they hunt yes. most of the time. They so. can spend up to 60 minutes down there, can't they? Underwater. Yeah. They can, they can dive for a while. And they can withstand the great pressures that you get from the depths of the ocean. Yeah. A fact I found when I'm doing a bit of research on these mm. is where the name sperm whale comes from. Now, before you shield your ears, as you think I'm going to say some some disgusting <laughs> fact, it's actually from a waxy substance called spermaceti, which is found in their heads. Mm. Now, we can use this to make... Oh, used to make oil lamps, uh, but we can make lubricants and candles, and that's why they were the primary target for commercial whaling during the 1800s and and into the future, which stopped around around 1987. Yeah, but obviously we don't do that anymore because killing whales is clearly not equal to making candles. We don't yeah. need to kill whales to make yeah. candles anymore. There's a lot of other ways to make candles. Now. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I've got a good oh, fact. Go on. Um, Out of nowhere. <laughs> they have a click so loud that it could kill a human being. Oh, as in their echolocation? Yeah. The clicks that they make to echolocate with can kill a human because they are so loud. Wow. So yeah. that's that's what they use to um, to find their prey in the dark, isn't it? Yeah. They send out a series of clicks and then yeah. they, they bounce back off any... Any, objects in, yeah. in the deep which are likely to be prey items yeah so that's that's where the clicks that is come pretty from. cool yeah that is right i think we should we should go deeper Ooh. into the abyssopelagic zone we're sub four thousand meters now oh my god think of that that is so deep and you know what <laughs> the temperatures down there are even colder than the bathypelagic zone how, how, what's the drop in temperature? Well, it's around two to three degrees down there. Okay. Um, so it's not much colder, but it's... In, yeah, in terms of, you know, eco- um, ecological processes, one or two degrees yeah, is Yeah, it does make a big a difference. Like a body temperature, for example, if it goes up or down one or two degrees, you know, you've got a fever or you're, you're ill, for yeah, example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a, a relatively big drop. Yeah, and um, it covers 83% of the total area of the ocean, the abyssopelagic zone. Wow. What's, I think it was like 400 or 300 million square kilometers. So what can live this far down? Well, I'll tell you, not a lot, but there, <laughs> is, a lot. there is one very cute animal that lives this far down. Well, a cute animal? Yes. It's called a Dumbo octopus. Okay. So, this octopus is only eight inches long, um, and it lives at least 4,000 meters down, but it's also believed to live much deeper than that. Um, And this makes this group of octopuses the deepest living of all known. Oh, so this species of Dumbo. Is it octopuses or octopi? I'll go with octopuses. I'm pre- I think it is octopuses, but it's a lot. There's a lot yeah. of um, 
everyone just says octopi. Yeah. Anyway, I'm pretty sure it's octopuses, so we will stick <laughs> with that. Slight detour. Sorry, yes. Anyway, um, um, <laughs> the so life at these extreme depths requires the ability to live in very cold water and literally the complete absence of sunlight. So Dumbo octopuses are naturally very rare um, and the deep sea is huge. So these species need specialised behaviours so they can actually reproduce. Yeah. Um, so they are foraging predators. Did you know that? And no. they eat pelagic invertebrates, which is okay. pretty much what they are as well. Yeah. Um, that swim above the sea floor. Um, yeah. And basically, can, whatever they can get their hands on, because down in the depths, there's not. You can't not, be picky, can you? You, you can't. Beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> um, there are f- a few large predators in the deep sea um, that could want to eat these yeah. Dumbo octopuses, um, such as diving fishes and marine mammals. So you can like you could have tunas. Dolphins, Some species sharks. of sharks, yeah. So yeah, on to the next animal. I'll take I'll take this part. Okay. Um, the deep sea tripod fish. Ooh. It's a group of organisms who are distinguished by having their pelvic fins and sometimes um, caudal fins elongated um, to, to to perform a pretty much like a tripod shape. Now these these fish can only be can be up to like half a meter long but their fins can be three times the size of their body shape wow now these fins have a lot of different uses because we're very deep and there's a lot of sediment on the floor it can keep them above the sediment to stop them suffocating they can use them for movement so pretty much walking along the bottom of the ocean they can use them for catching prey they can use them for filter feeding because some of these are filter feeders because it's not very energy efficient to be searching around for prey in these areas because animals are so scarce. Scarce? I mean sparse. Now speaking of animals being sparse, this can also bring up problems when trying to find a mate. Now a way around this is these individuals have developed to have two sets of gonads, a male set and a female set. They're called simultaneous hermaphrodites. Now this, you might think, is quite weird. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a great advantage um, for the species. Because let's say you're found, you found another one of your species, and then you happen to both be males, you can't reproduce with them. Yeah. So you're going to have to go and find someone else. But if that's the only individual in your nearby area, you're just not going to be able to reproduce, mm-hmm. and you're not going to be able to to you know increase increase the population so they have both sets of gonads so they can reproduce however however they're needed vice versa male or female so yeah that covers all of the species we wanted to talk about in today's episode but we did want to mention one last tendency that deep sea dwelling organisms have yes and i will be telling you about it it's called deep sea gigantism Ooh. So this is the tendency for species of invertebrates and other deep sea dwelling animals to be larger than their shallower water relatives. Okay. So proposed explanations for this kind of giganticism include cold 
colder water temperature, reduced predation pressure, um, or maybe increased dissolved oxygen concentrations. Okay. But this is quite an an area that hasn't been properly looked into yet by science. So these are just ideas. Um, Yeah. So... You've got an example. I have got an example. So isopods, they're a group of organisms that are subjected to this deep sea gigantism. So like wood lice. Yeah, so usually they're the size of a wood louse because wood louse are literally included in this group. But when they're at depths, they may be found up to two feet long. uh, So I'm imagining a wood louse. A wood louse, but two feet. Yes, we we will show pictures of this on our Instagram, but just to give you a bit of perspective, that is bigger than a miniature poodle wow i mean i can't imagine a two foot wood louse crawling past me it would be terrifying it would be and terrifying. it's in the ocean so it swims oh god yeah well thank god it's ten thousand meters down and i'm never gonna see it in my life probably not no probably not so anyway yes that is that was the last point we had for this podcast a little thought-provoking point there for you yes um thanks for listening Mm-hmm. make sure to tune in next week as well or if you haven't already check out our last two weeks worth of podcasts yeah coasts and sharks and this week's episode was voted by you guys so if you wanted to we want to vote on next week's podcast go over to our instagram yeah and you can choose what next week's podcast is going to be on yes so thanks and see you next week see you next week <laughs>